0: I got so preachy last week that uh, I didn't finish my sermon. (laughs) But I could probably start it all over again. Some of you weren't here for it, so we could could do it either way, I guess. Um, I want to encourage you this morning, as I'm preaching, as we continue on this service, I want you to encourage you just to focus on the Lord. Focus on what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and minister to you Today. Um because I, I think one of the tragedies of church can be that God was wanting to speak to us and we were just we were caught up in what was happening in front of us. I've had lots of times when something was said or even in, in the time of worship that the Holy Spirit was moving or touching my heart or speaking to me about something. And I've had both the times when the Lord was ministering to me, and I got sidetracked, distracted, and, and I kind of lost that moment with the Lord. And I've had those times when I just continued to draw my mind and my thoughts closer to whatever the Lord was ministering to me about, and it seemed like there was no crowd. It seemed like nobody else was in the room. It was just between me and God. And it felt like I needed that from God, and I think we do. So if the Lord is ministering to you in a special way, like that while we we're worshiping it and you felt it, don't lose track of it. I'm just telling you. So if you have to close your eyes um, or whatever you need to do, while, let the Lord speak to your heart. I want to speak this morning on overcoming consumerism. So I felt the Lord two weeks ago. Drop it in my spirit. No more consumerism. And it's interesting when God can put something inside of your spirit and he can give you three words, two words, and you get the revelation, but it's just two words. But God has put something. That's, that's how I oftentimes recognize it's the spirit of God ministering to me because it's like an explosion. I get it. I wouldn't know exactly how to put it and phrase it in words, but I get what God is saying to me. And I'm not talking about consumerism even though it has something to do with it as it is in the world. I'm talking about consumerism as it makes its way into the church and as it has already made its way into the church. And we just haven't recognized it for what it is. But let's let the culture and what's outside of the kingdom of God stay outside of the kingdom of God. Let's stay faithful to Jesus and that's not just while we come in here on Sunday. That is, make sure that your life is all about Jesus. I want to share with you this thought on consumerism in the church. And this is what I want to say. It's kind of a defining aspect of it as it's made its way into the church. Is this? It's the drive to use methods that attract the masses in order to maximize the growth and the development of the church. I'm going to say that one more time. It is the drive to use methods that attract masses in order to maximize the growth and the development of the church. It is the snare of the cultural influence that is teaching us to use carnal methods to market the ministry. And it is the sum of the subjective preferences that define society. So the subjectiveness of everybody in society and their preferences and that as it defines society which limits or prevents the normal standard of success in other words if it doesn't fit the the subjective preferences of the masses of people around there chances are you're not going to be successful chances are you're not going to hit the mark if you're wanting to have a business you're wanting things to work and somehow we got this idea that that's how we run church that's how we do this thing get together and under these four walls is we let that subjective preference determine how I'm going to preach, how we're going to worship, how we're going to have our gatherings and our meetings and all those things. Like it or not, it's been here, and I want to say this last piece, it is so rampant and so common that it will need, it will require a new reformation before it is driven out of the church. We need a reformation. And what I'm saying is this, is that when we get a clear revelation that consumerism has gotten in and we're kicking it out, we're going to start figuring out where it's existence, how it's played its role, and we're going to start doing things differently and we're not going to behave with consumerism as the central piece for how we drive on in ministry. That means in the months and years, as long as Jesus, as long as He tarries, We're going to start making discoveries. And as far as I'm concerned, at least in our church, we're going to do our very best to figure out where it is and how it's gotten there. And I would say it's it's so much filtered into our way of thinking. I'm blessed when somebody tells me today I'm called to this church. I'm called to this church. Why am I blessed by that? Because consumerism has taught us to come to get what we like and what ministers to me and what feeds me. And I'm not telling you that I don't want this church to feed you. I don't want you to be fed here spiritually. But if we continue to endorse the mentality that we come to get fed, we miss the whole thing that Jesus called us to be disciples, to give of our life, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow Him. And I've watched ministries over the number of years that are heartbreaking to watch. Because I have often felt like at the forefront, before the tragedy happened, that I was looking at some very godly people who cherished the presence of God in their life, and I saw some of the most ridiculous, Things break my heart and watch some of the most carnal, most worldly things happen in what I had deemed to be the most spiritual people. And it broke my heart. And I had wondered if there was not stamina, if there wasn't this ability to be crucified with Christ behind the people who got disgruntled about something. And then rumors would happen. Pastors would come under scrutiny for things that they did and did not do. And I watched people as if to miss the whole message of the gospel as they exited out of sight of the building. And this vision broke open the churches. And today we see pastors trying to do everything they can to hold that crowd together. And Jesus, amazingly, he was very good at helping them out the door. He was skillful at, you guys are not really giving yourself to me, there is no discipleship program that I offer that means that you don't give your life to me as your Lord and your Savior. If that's what you're looking for, you're not going to find it in me. There's an exit. Not that Jesus didn't love them. Not that Jesus didn't care for them, but that he re- but there was no way that the kingdom of God could operate with this kind of idea. And so I want to bring that to you as... Pray for me. I want to pray for us as a family that we learn. Even the word family today is a way to make the consumer, the spiritual consumer, happy with the church. They want to be in a family church. We want to be. And I'm not saying that we don't want to be that, but we make that the primary rather than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He's the one I follow. And if things get uncomfortable, If the trip gets rocky, if things get difficult, and if I don't like it, I'm first going to Him and find out information from Him. And I'm going to do things God's way, not my way. I'm begging, I'm praying, Jesus, make. Okay, there we are. Simple as that. Simple as that. Praise the Lord. John chapter 17. Are you there? Raise your hand if you're there at John chapter 17. Amen for that. Okay. John chapter 17. How many of you brought your highlighters this morning so you can mark these verses in the Bible? Right. How many of you already got it marked in your Bible? That's what I'd like. (laughs) We've got a few hands. Amen for that. Okay, John chapter 17 says this, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world. Just pay attention. Jesus is saying, I come to you, and what I'm going to say, I'm going to say in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves, I have given them your words. Jesus is talking to, about His disciples, and he's praying to the Father, He says that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. How many of you say you got Jesus' joy? Now, we say the, now you might be thinking, I'm saying the joy that Jesus imparts. I'm saying, do you have the same joy that Jesus had? There's a difference. Fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. Jesus didn't speak on His own. He gave them the word of the Father. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Now this is powerful, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. This is how Jesus defined His followers. They're not of the world. Now I think that might be a little bit hard to grasp because we work, we get money, we pretty much live within kind of the domains that the world sets for us. And we may not think about how Jesus was separating his disciples, the life they lived was very much a separated life. And I'm introducing that Jesus has some similarities in the way that he's ministering to us today. Can you say, I agree with that? I look at my life and I agree with that. That's who I am. That's who I am. I'm not of this world. My worldview is not of this world. My stance about culture and things, based on what God has. Because you've been regenerated. You've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. You're not a religious person. You're not merely just coming to church because you're religious. You come to church as a secondary piece to something that's primary in your life. I come to church, and I do far more than come to church. My life is about Jesus. What I say... What when I feel convicted about certain things because I look at it and like that's not you, Lord, that's not you. You you can examine yourself from a different perspective. It's about what God has revealed my life should be. It's the life of Christ in me. Can we say I'm not of the world? Not of the world. There's somebody that can say it. So in this we see that the battle, our battle, when we read these verses, what it's defining, it's giving us a sense of our battle, our battle is to go against culture and against certain church culture tides. I can't help it. I have to say that. We have to realize that there are are certain church culture tides that didn't come from Jesus, didn't come from the Holy Spirit. It came from men who tried to figure out how to turn the ship in the flesh. Now, I'm not going to tell you what those are, but I'm going to tell you that there's a lot of them out there. I want to read this this quote from Brennan Manning. He says this. I think this fits very well. Let us be bold enough to ask ourselves as Christians whether the church of the Lord Jesus in the United States has anything to say to our nation and to its ideologies of materialism, possessiveness, I'd like to throw progressiveness in there as well, and the worship of financial security. Are we courageous enough to be a sign of contradiction to consumerism through our living faith in Jesus Christ? Are we committed enough to His gospel to become a countercurrent to the drift? I love that. Are we committed enough to his gospel to become a countercurrent to the drift? If you were here last week, you would have heard me share about some of those things that we've done. One of them has been. I've watched over a number of years, and I'll just repeat this. We've had the crowd mentality of how many of you want to receive Jesus as your Savior at the end of a sermon and we'll and we'll say everybody close their eyes and raise their hands similarly like this if you want to receive Jesus as your lord and savior raise your hand we got hands out there already amen for that right i'm not actually calling for them that. said that's what we've done and then we did this we said now i'm going to pray a prayer and everybody in this room so nobody feels uncomfortable let's pray that prayer together so those who are getting saved aren't distinct from those who are uh, already saved, already children of God. And then, this preacher didn't say it, but that's what he wants you to believe, that the moment you said that prayer and we said amen, you are born again. Now, we have somehow in our world decided that we could have a fast food spirituality, and that's one way we got it. We decided that we could have, and I don't even know how they tally it, but they'll say 20,000 people came to the Lord today. How did they figure that one out? Did they have somebody counting hands across the... I don't know. I really don't know. But all I know is this. I bet there's a whole lot of people, including myself, that would have said, did I really get saved? Did I become a new creature in Christ Jesus? Did I really get the thing that's called salvation? Because I'm struggling because I feel like the same man after I prayed that prayer as after I was done. And I would say we did a disservice to somebody. And you know, it's uncomfortable to have an altar call, isn't it? It's an uncomfortable because then somebody comes up and unlike the you fit in with the crowd, we do the opposite. We You don't fit in. And you come up and you come to receive Jesus. And we should do more than that. We should do more than just... Say, you know, we should spend some time with them and help them along because they don't know how. They don't know. This is my first time. I I'm trying to figure out this Jesus thing. So even the altars don't quite get there most of the time. But really, it's the whole focus of it doesn't matter what people think, this is real. And I'm not going to play games. I want to know whether I'm saved or not. And I love it when somebody says, you know what? I'm, I want to have the real thing. And I'm not settling for anything less than that. And how many of you are convinced God can still do His work just fine today? And it says in the Bible that it's His Spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we're the sons of God. That means if somebody's actually made their way into the kingdom of God, that means they know because God made it real to them. Right? I didn't tell you you're saved. God made sure. And you're like, I know I'm a new man or a new woman in Christ. And I don't even question it. I don't know how, but I know that God made me know that. I want to pray those kinds of salvations back into our churches. I want to pray whether they come to the altar or they spend time alone with me or we get into their home. I want them to happen everywhere, not just in our church. Salvation doesn't happen in a church setting. Salvation happens when the heart is ready and there's somebody to plant the seed and help them into the kingdom of God. And that's you and me, every one of us, that have safely made our way into the kingdom of Christ. So our battle is to go against the church culture that is trying to get us to save the masses by clicking our fingers. Light switch salvation. We just got you saved by saying a quick prayer. We want to know that you have entered in, you've you've gone from death to life, and you're now a new creature in Christ Jesus, and you can testify of that. Then let's get you baptized. Let's get you baptized after that. Right. Did I get any Amen's out there? I just want to know if I got an Amen. I just like preaching. Like, just because you're a quiet crowd doesn't mean you're like, I like that. So Jesus makes the statement, "You are not, they are not of the world. Jesus, wouldn't it be, wouldn't, isn't that the picture we should be getting is that Jesus is right now individually representing us to the Father and he says they're not of the world. They're not of the consumerism of the world. They're not bound by the consumerism of the world. They're not of those things which characterize and define the world as it pertains from one generation to the next. We are called into the life of Christ that is free, of consumerism. Can I say that? We're free from consumerism in our Christianity. Now, somebody might say, well, what if I'm hungry for the Lord? What if I'm thirsty for Jesus and I really want more of the Lord in my life? Am I a consumer? Kind of. Right? But the difference is this. Are you coming to God to get what you want from Him? Or are you coming to God to get what He wants for you? How many of you drove up to McDonald's waiting to get served chicken? Right? This is what, I went to McDonald's because I wanted a hamburger. I didn't go there for chicken. And we come to church sometimes because we want peace. We want happiness. We want, we want acceptance. You know, all those things. And what do, Lord, what do you want? Some people are like, well, I couldn't do that because I would be uncomfortable. Does God always have us do what we would be comfortable with? I think there's many times the Holy Spirit invites us into a place of obedience that's very uncomfortable. And as you step into obedience, God gives you an anointing and a gifting for the thing that He's called you to do. I'm not going to help you feel like the pastor says, Hey, are you going to be comfortable with... I'm not going to ask that because I don't care if you're comfortable. I care if you're obedient. We are not subject to, we are not to subject our life or ministry. How many, of you have, how many of you have a ministry? I got one out there. You may be wondering, what does he mean by that? How many of you are called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Every one of us should have our hands up. Because we understand that we are not called to be spectators in the kingdom of God. We are not called to just get fed. We're called to give the message of Jesus. So we are not to subject to our life or our ministry to any standard which compromises our true calling to follow Christ. We are not to compromise anything that, any standard that compromise, even if it's acceptable. Even if that's how you get people to come. Even if you're going to have a small church. Even if people are going to quit coming to the ministry because of... You don't compromise your true calling to follow Christ. Don't do it. We are not of the world that is trying to sell the vision of ministry. I had, not too long ago, a a phone call with somebody... Who, it's a ministry resource that wanted me to sell it to the ministry. The moment I heard that word, it did, it did not set well with me. I'm not selling the ministry. If it's the vision of God, you don't need me to tell you that. You should be getting that from Him and we should be confirming that together. If it's God's vision... The people feel that are connected to God will know that vision and it will be a confirmation through the pastor, not be a revelation through the pastor. I don't have to sell it. We are not of the world that is taking orders for fast food spirituality. I had a conversation um, a few weeks ago and somebody had asked me and I liked the question because I think it fits very well. and I Actually, it helped me have an answer for myself. But do you put... The sermon's on YouTube. And I said, I don't. And I hadn't really thought about it until that moment. But I was like, I I don't because there's something actually important to me. And you know how many preachers, if you got a good message, you don't put it on YouTube. You don't get it out there for the masses. Why wouldn't you do that, James? Wouldn't Jesus want the message out there for the masses? And I would say there's a truth to that. But here's the thing because i I'm, I'm capturing the revelation God's given me, and I 'm not going to live under the grasshopper myth that a small church doesn't have something powerful to offer, offer in our community and here's one thing i'm offering i'm not offering my service my sermons at a cheaper rate. You get the preacher with the sermon, and I said that, and I was like, that's it that's one of the ways that I am not going to fall for consumerism Christianity. You have to come to my church. Now, it's not that you can't get the, the, the sermon online, but do you know why the only reason, the only reason I put it online right now? Is so for those who couldn't make it on Sunday that are connected to this body could listen to this sermon. I don't give a care about whether everybody else gets my sermon or not. Why? Because I think it's tragic that we decided we could have online spirituality, without connection to the saints of God. Even if we're not the most spiritual church on earth, you're better off with a weak church or a sick church than you are going out online and getting a good sermon online where you have no connection with anybody. Now, you may not believe me with that, and that's fine, but I'm going to tell you that's how I'm going to live my life. And I would rather try and do whatever I can. When my wife was sick this week, You know what I didn't do? Man, this is going to be good. You know what I didn't do? I didn't go, you know what? Let's pack my bags, get my stuff, and head on out the door. You tell me when you're feeling better. I'm going to go find something entertaining more enjoying to do than have to deal with your sickness. I'm saying something. You might get me sick if I get around your sickness. That's the kind of spiritual level we're at. It's it's tragic. But no, I didn't do that. I went to with my wife and I got by her side. And you know what? I, I did the opposite. And I was like, honey, and I'm learning to be better at this. So I'm not perfect. Let's just say that much. But I'm learning to be better at ministering to my wife and making sure that all the bases are covered. You just do what you have to do and to get better. We get in the sickness. Why? Because we're healthy. We're healthy enough that we're not worried about getting a little bit of the cold when we're around somebody else. And the other thing is, we're all about the Gospel. We're about the Gospel that restores souls, doesn't leave them where they're at. I think consumerism is so rampant that it's almost impossible to find those kinds of Christians that believe, I'm here for the sick. Jesus said, He came for the sick, not the whole. How many of you are called to the sick church? I'm here to help get it back in line. Get it back to where it needs to be. That means you have to be healthy. Right? But I'm not afraid of somebody else's sickness because I know my Jesus. Man, that was good. That was good. And I didn't have that already in the notes. So that was inspired, just to let you know. That was already inspired. We're not serving the pick and choose mentality that's so big these days. Pick and choose. What scriptures do you like? Which ones do you not like? What doctrines do you like? Which ones do you not like? We're not about that, and we're not going to serve it. We're not going to serve it. So, the reason, one of the things I'm going to say is one of the fears of serving the pick and choose mentality is you get to know the people who are the pick and choose mindset and then you start saying to yourself well i can't say that because they don't like that or i can't or i need to say this because this is like this is their go to this is what they really like go after so this is how i get this is the right message these are the things i avoid why do we do that and imagine what jesus is thinking while that's happening so we've got to be careful that we're not man pleasers and we're not about just like, you know what, I don't give a care what people think. I just, I do care about what God thinks and I do care about what you think. But I'm going to make sure that I press in toward what God is thinking as the first and foremost. Here Jesus says also in John chapter 17, verses 13 through 16, he makes the statement that you should keep them from the evil one. Jesus told him, Father, keep them in the world. This rotten, evil, wicked world. Keep them there, but then keep them from the evil one. That's a powerful revelation of what Jesus' is heart for us. I don't want the Lord to keep me in a wicked world. I don't want to be wrapped around temptation. I don't want to look back on a sin that I've committed and think it was because temptation was there and I fell into it. But I would rather that possibility and try and capture what Jesus was saying and what He wanted for me to get out of this, and then miss that. Why is Jesus... And I think this just shows the spectacular nature about God that can help redefine the human frailty and the human failure every single time. Meaning that we can really find what we need in God. We just have to be the type of people that really depend on Him. That truly depend on Him for everything. So we are defining what we call success when we reread this. And Lord, don't pull me away from a world of evil, but keep me from the evil one. In other words, don't let my heart be captured by what animates His. The prayer of Christ was to provide, as you read that, the prayer of Christ was to provide for the necessity of the saints... To prevent compromise to their true identity while facing the evils that characterize the world. Can I say that one more time? Amen. The prayer of Christ was to provide for the necessity of the saints. We need something from you, Lord. To prevent compromise to their true identity. Not from what they do. Because you can do things and it's not connected to your identity. But this is my true identity. I am a child of God. I am a saint. I am a holy man or woman of God. That is your identity. I am in Christ Jesus. I no longer live for myself. I am crucified to the world. And the world is crucified to me. That's my identity. And so I can hold on to that identity The power of God is there available to keep us and hold us there while facing the evils of the world. And that's how we know that we don't have to be or nor can we be overcome by the world as we stay firm in our identity in Jesus. How do we overcome consumerism in the church? We know who we are in Christ Jesus. We know who we are in Christ. Some of my favorite verse of Paul talking, and I pray these verses, uh, is my life is hidden with Christ. I'm no longer my own. I don't belong to myself, Lord. I belong to You. And I fight that at times because it seems like I'm not living up to that as a reality. But when I pray to Him, He helps me experience that as a reality. I was sharing with a brother not too long ago, but one of my struggles has been insecurity. You may say, Preacher, are you telling me the truth? That you stand at that pulpit and you have had struggles of insecurity? You can't help but have it at times. And I, felt, I found that, you know, remember when I preached the message, when I said that everything, the Gospel is centered in everything. It's got to be a Gospel centered. What I saw, and I've been watching the Lord over and over again show me, you have it. not just that it shows me insecurity because I kind of already know it's there, but when I get the Holy Spirit in that moment. You know the intimate when you spend time with God, the Holy Spirit helps you come to what's not of the cross. It's not of the gospel. And insecurity is not of the gospel, folks. It's not what Jesus, it's not in his character, it's not in the person in the Godhead. There's no insecurity with the Creator of the universe, so why am I holding on to it? Why am I struggling with insecurity? Well, that's the human side of James that has to face the reality that I don't have an answer unless I meet with the Gospel. And this is what I've realized. Jesus gives a fresh revelation of the Gospel in the face of those insecurities, those human weaknesses, and then when you get a fresh Look at the gospel, it humbles your heart and regenerates and rejuvenates your spirit into believing the gospel and you abandon the insecurities in the spiritual transformation that happens as you get to know God. And so I won't say that it's not that it's absolutely removed every sense of insecurity but it has a powerful effect from one moment to the next. And I've learned this. It's about being dependent on the Lord. So we redefine what we call success. So, for every time that you meet with Jesus and you have the battle with insecurity or acceptance or whatever, and the Lord has helped you reevaluate the gospel. The power of God into salvation to everyone that believes. And it's universally at effect, remolding and shaping your heart. And I wasn't there to see it. I, you weren't in my, you didn't testify. You didn't say, oh, Pastor, that was connected to a sermon you preached. You just got the experience from God. I want to say whether I get to find out about it or not. That's exactly what I've been praying. Jesus, give me that church. The church that gets close to you and I don't get to know anything. My name isn't even attached to it. I don't want any credit for it. I just want to know that people are growing in the way of God and I get to fellowship with you. Do you understand? That's the blessing that I get. I don't get credit for what I've done. I get the blessing of fellowshipping with you as you get to walk closer and more in the light. As you were in the light, you are walking further out of darkness, and I get to I get to be a part of talking with you and sharing in that with you. Isn't that powerful that we get to have that fellowship with one another? You're probably like, is he getting closer to the end of this sermon or closer to the start of this sermon? I think I'm getting closer to the start of the sermon because I've only made it to just uh, I still haven't made it through the first three verses here, so. I love you guys. You must love me. I'm like, these guys still come every week to listen to me. This is amazing. (laughs) Our battle is not to fall prey to the tactics of the evil one, trying to turn our insecurities into a program-packed ministry. Program-packed. We can gain the crowds by creating a program but I want to do something better than that. I want to do what it takes to help us get deeper with God in our souls so that each one of us are ministering effectively the way God's called us to in our market, in our jobs, whatever we're doing. Real success often looks more like First Peter chapter 4, verse 14. Actually, if... Yep, he's got it up there. Perfect. If you are reproached... For the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You just got filled with the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He is blasphemed, but on your part, He is glorified. This has nothing to do with calling out other sins while walking in your own. It's about real virtue under fire. Real virtue under fire. When you are living the Christian life and your behavior and your demeanor and what you do with people around... And Jesus is saying, when you get reproached for living a Christian life, rejoice. Just rejoice that you're being reproached. And when that happens, so the culture is going to start looking down on you. Why? Because you don't do it the cultural way. The culture looks down on you not just because you're like I don't believe in the message that it's sending but I don't but it's more about the culture is not allowing for an open door for Jesus to be preached and I'm going to live that not just preach it and so the real virtue comes under fire i remember when i was in high school we had some um i had a class that i was in i was doing really good in the class but i had one assignment that i was struggling pretty badly in and The other guys that were normally not doing so well, they were doing good and I wasn't. And I was sitting at the table and these guys offered to let me copy off of their paper so that I could do better in class. And I remember thinking, the moment I do that, that's going to reverse the role of they're going to look at me like, how come you don't do that? Or now they're going to sign me with some kind of a hypocrisy. I started stepping up to the plate to try and look like a Christian, and I was like, I can't do that. Because if I do that, then, because they have, they have asked me previously if they could copy off my work, and I wouldn't do it because I knew that cheating wouldn't help them, nor more would it would for me. So we can't cheat off of one another. And I remember I came under fire for that, and I remember one time in my gym class, the, the gym instructor had told us to run around the gym. If I remember right, it was like three times. And the class ran around the gym twice and then sat down. And I wasn't about to go through the embarrassment of being the guy that's the only one running around the gym the third time. And I went and sat down, and I had wished that I had never done that. Because when I did, all the guys that were in the locker room that I had been trying to minister to, they were looking for a loophole to tear me down. And they said, you, you hypocrite. And they pointed me out as a, that's not fair. Every one of you didn't follow the rule, but I'm the one who gets the heat for it. So essentially by trying to live a virtuous life, we have to remember that people want to find something. You're under fire because they want to find a fault. It's not about living a fault-free life, but it is about living a life of honor to Jesus. You'd be surprised what God can keep you from. I want to give you these last few thoughts as we close here. Jesus made this statement, and I think this is the cream of every every one of those verses in John chapter 17, verses 13 through 16. He says that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I think in order to have Jesus' joy fulfilled in us, we have to get back to the priorities. So let me say this. Consumerism is the devil's sorcery. Can I say it that way? Consumerism is the devil's sorcery that keeps Christians from walking in the joy of Christ. We're we're fulfilled in other things. The joy of the Lord can be there when we are in the most stressful situations. It is a way of adulterating the beauty of the Christian life and stripping us of the virtues of our faith and at the same time eliminating the joy that is universally attached to those virtues. It is the devil's way of deceiving us into betraying our prayers for joy without us detecting as to how he did it. You mean I just got kind of locked down in consumerism and I started living that, and that became my source of spirituality, and the devil actually stole my joy that way? Yes. Or he gave you another kind of joy. So I want to say this. This will lead into next Sunday, the Lord willing. But one of those priorities that consumerism Christianity has robbed us of is the blessing of our aging brothers and sisters. Can I say that one more time? One of the priorities that consumerism Christianity has robbed us of is the blessing of our aging brothers and sisters. I already have. I've been preparing I thought that that would be this week, and the Lord's like, I'm, I have one more thing for you to do. But I want you, to, I want to speak into the lives of our elders, not just our our spiritual elders, our church, the brothers and sisters in age. I want to speak something and get you to have. I, I want to build you up in the kingdom of God. I want to be a pastor to our elders, and I don't want to be looking to reach the world and, and marginalize you. You guys are precious and important in ways that I think the Holy Spirit is putting in my heart. In the efforts of fast to fast-grow our churches, we have marginalized and forgotten you. In our push to be relevant, the true jewels of the church are facing loneliness when they ought to be treated like royalty. And I want to undo this evil in this congregation. So I want you to hear this from me. If I open the door for you, if I offer to take your arm, if I offer to bring food, I want you to be willing to consider something or somebody else from within this congregation. There are cultures that actually highly value the elderly. Our culture does not do that. Our culture, once you get to a certain age, we begin to marginalize you for no good reason. You are the patriarchs of our life matriarchs and patriarchs, and I want to help you stop getting used to the way the culture treats you and the way the church treats you that way. So I want to give you the feeling of royalty as you come into these doors, if I can. I want to spend more time putting emphasis on the things that Jesus... And I want to share this with you, because this is what I felt like the Lord spoke to me. I felt like the Lord said to me, I will not I will not open up more anointing on your ministry if you do not put the elders back into the place that I value them. There's an anointing that gets stripped off of our ministries because we're not doing what God called us to do. You guys are precious. You guys are amazing. Physically we feel like we're wearing out. We feel like we're we're not able to do what we used to do. The body just get ready. The body's getting ready to run and go be with Jesus, right? That's really what's happening. Our body's getting ready and we're getting ready for a discharge to be with the Lord. I I envy you. (laughs) You know, like I envy you're getting you're getting to the place you get to be close to Jesus. But there's something of the years of what God has deposited in those of you who've remained faithful up to your later years in life that we cannot afford in this next generation to not get what you have to share with us. We need to hear so we don't fall into the, the traps of evil that our consumerism culture is telling us to go for the new rather than to go back to what we've had. Believe me, as I drive an old 66 Ford truck around, I realize the value of an old truck like that. And one of the things that I've realized is It's timeless. It's timeless. This thing could live beyond my days. You get a 19, oh no, 2024 new, I don't give a care what car it is, and pretty well within, by the time it reaches 300,000 miles, it's going to the junkyard and my truck is still going to be driving on. What do I mean by that? Is that Jesus deposited timeless truths. And, and not only that, but he's giving you testimonies that need to be given to us and to the generations beyond us. And we can't be the type of people that forget that and miss that. As I've listened to John share testimonies of things that God gave to him that I have never experienced in my life. And I will tell you, it's a faith infuser toward me to listen to those testimonies. We need to get more of them. So I want to share with Barbara, Mary, and, and um Lori and others within our congregation. Please tell us your stories. Please tell us your testimonies and let us serve you. Let us serve you. Come up with things. As we say, hey, is there anything we can do for you? Come up with something. So I can be in your home. I can be a part of your life. I told you I don't want to be, I don't want to be the pastor who's about um the corporate pastor, but I do want to be about my people. And you guys are my people. And I mean that with all of my heart. As we get ready to have this um, potluck together, this is what I live for. I live for the moments to share deeper relationships. I live for the moments when I get to share in your struggles with you. When I don't have the answers, but I know what it's like. I just feel like Jesus' presence can be there in that moment. I love to share life together. And I never want to be the church that has so many people that I can't share with the people that I'm invested into. I'm investing my life in yours. I want to die. And if all I do at the end, when I die, they said, all we know is this He spent quality time with the people He spent time with. I want to die with that on my tombstone. I think that's one of the most spiritual things we can do, because. And I was. I'm gonna. I gotta say this. I'm gonna. I promise. I will close after this. I will. I said I've watched this happen, and I want you to be careful here. But I've watched this happen. I've seen people supposedly get a spiritual discernment about another person that I spent time with. And when I listened to what they thought they discerned about that person after I had spent, the person that was wrong is the one that thought they were discerning something. I wonder if part of our consumerism has taught us to try and discern you without listening to you without spending time with you, without getting to know you, without getting to know your background in your life, I wonder if we thought that we were so on key with God. that we'd... Now, I won't say that God doesn't give us discernment into things, but a lot of what we're seeing is people who are afraid to go to somebody and get to know them. And if you have fear that it keeps you from knowing them, then you certainly don't have discernment about them. Guaranteed. We need time with one another. And when we do, brothers and sisters, I think this will be an age when we can say, you know what? The church of Jesus and the kind of quality things that Jesus put is exactly what I see every Sunday when I come. I see it Monday and Tuesday. I see it in my brothers and sisters every day. I see it and I'm blessed by it. And it's increased my faith and it's made me a better Christian as a result of that faithfulness in their life. I am so privileged that I get to preach this. I know that you would too. But I'm so grateful that I get to. But I want you to hear from me. I want you to preach it back to me. Would you please? When we go downstairs, preach it back to me. Keep telling me about your vision for a a closer church, a godly church, how the Lord's ministering to you in these days. It'll minister a lot to me. And beyond Sunday, let's have life together. Let's keep living life together the way God called us to. I want to pray for you. There's going to be a few things we're going to have to do here as we break up, um, as we get ready. We're going to pull those two back tables, the corner ones to the back, and we'll put some long ones here, bring some food up. We get to share potluck together, right? Um, And so just kind of filter in if you can help. Great. Um, That's kind of the idea, and it'll take a few minutes. But don't leave. (laughs) Don't leave. We're not letting you leave. We love you. And, and if you're an introvert, so am I. So that's no excuse. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. And as we do, I want to invite you to come to the altar the Holy Spirit's ministering to you. I want you to come to the altar at the Holy Spirit's ministering to you. We're going to make sure that we give time for that. So I'm going to pray, and then Isaac's going to play the music in the background. And I want you to come and seek the Lord if you would. And ask the Lord to minister and help us as a church to be just what I preached this morning. Amen. Father, thank you today, Jesus. What a wonderful revelation that you've given to our hearts. God, I never realized, even as I was preparing this message, that it would come out exactly the way it has. But I want to be as real as I can, Father. I want to be human with the divine help to be able to do more than just what I can do. Jesus, thank You today, Father, as we fellowship, as we get closer to one another, as we get buried in one another's lives and we care about one another through the Spirit of Christ and help us, Lord, to get closer to somebody that we don't know well in our audience here. But Jesus, I pray for this. I pray that no more consumerism Jesus, I pray that I thank you for where you've kept us from it and you've uh, prevented it from getting in. But Lord, in places where it's there and we haven't discovered, I want to pray that you would move us beyond it and help us overcome. And as we get closer to Christ and closer to one another through Jesus Christ, that we will overcome the consumerism that's made its way into our churches. And Father, I want to praise you for doing that in our church. And I want to thank you for the love developed in the hearts, Lord, that have come closer to you. Brothers and sisters, right now I just want to invite you. Let the Lord speak to your heart. Would you come up if the Lord's ministering to you to do so? We will uh, continue to just wait for you as the Lord is ministering to you. Let the Lord do this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Isaac, if you would. If you would, amen.